All right, everybody, let's dive into our parable for the day. I don't want to start with the parable today. Uh, I want to start with uh, my grandmother. My grandmother loved, loved, loved to make my dad angels food cakes because they were his favorite. And so at every possible occasion, you know, like particularly on birthdays and things like that, she would make him an angel's food cake and he would just talk about how much he loved the angel's food cake. Here's the trick though. He did not like, well, let me rephrase that. He does not like angel, uh, angel food cake. He doesn't enjoy it. He doesn't like it. At some point, at some point in time in their past, she made one for him and he so filled with gratitude that his mother loved him enough to care for them in this care for him in this way said like oh this is the greatest mom and so she made an assumption she made an assumption that this was his favorite cake and from that moment forward every time they had an opportunity she was making him a uh, an angel's food cake assumptions are tricky assumptions are good right we make assumptions for particular reasons it's our body's way it's our brain's way of kind of categorizing experiences that we've had in our life so that we're not paralyzed in every single moment of our life uh, for fear of what's going to happen. Um, let me give you a terrible example. Uh, let's say you're walking down the street and you come upon someone with brown hair and uh, he kicks you in the shin. Okay, that's an experience that you've just had. And you kind of, you log that experience. You're walking down, you pass a couple more people, you pass another person, they have brown hair like mine. And, uh, or it's getting grayer as we speak, but, um, and that person, they, they kick you in the shin. Okay. Well now we have, we have two data points. Now, the next time you pass someone with hair that looks like mine, you slowly move from one side of the street to the other because you don't want to get kicked in the shin. Now, maybe that person was, or was not going to kick you in the shin. I can't say. What I can say is you've just made an assumption and that assumption exists to protect you. And, and our bodies, brains categorize things like this so that um, we don't always have to fear every single person. We know we just have to fear people with brown hair like mine, right? Or whatever it is. Assumptions can be good, I guess, in that regard. The problem is it's really, really, really hard for us to break out of our assumptions. Um, one of my favorite theologians, Walter Brueggemann, calls this set of assumptions that we kind of build in about the way the world works, uh, he calls it the royal conscious, consciousness. It's like, uh, it's the story that the king, the people who were in power, tell us in order for us to continue to give them our allegiance. And the royal consciousness tells us uh, that the king alone can protect us, uh, that the king alone can provide for us. Um, and the prophets in the Old Testament, uh, one of the things that they were doing was always trying to poke holes in the royal consciousness, poke holes in the assumptions that the way things are, are the way things have to be, or the way things are, or the way things are supposed to be. And they used apocalyptic language. Apocalypse means a revealing. It's like ripping the blinders off. And so what prophets would do is they would use words and imagery to kind of pull back the curtain, uh, you know, of the Wizard of Oz so that we could see the man behind the curtain pulling all the levers, right? To, to kind of pull back the curtain on leadership and those in power, particularly when those in power were not doing uh, justice and righteousness in the ways of the Lord, particularly leaders uh, in Israel. They would use this language uh, to uh, kind of through poetry invite us to believe that something more was possible. Um, uh, the way of God was more possible. And uh, these moments of apocalypse when uh, the 
when the prophets are doing this, like they're, they're deeply unsettling and deeply troubling for us because these assumptions that we build, this rural consciousness that we kind of take on and, and turn into an assumption in our life, it, it gives us uh, a sense that things are stable and good. And so when all of a sudden those assumptions begin to be questioned, uh, it can be a very unsettling thing. Everything can feel uh, very unstable. We don't really exactly know what we're, uh, what we can count on. And it's in moments like this that we have a tendency to shift um, from like one person who's pre- uh, promising protection and provision to another. And Jesus warns us against this by calling people false messiahs. Uh, later, Paul is going to use the term uh, anti-messiah, or sometimes what we translate as anti-anointed or anti-Christ. Um, our parable today, Jesus is using a lot of this language, right? Um, and uh, if you want to go back and read it, go back and read it. Uh, it's uh, kind of 23 to 25 in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, and our parable comes in a in a section of writing where I think Jesus is leveraging some of the Old Testament language, uh, maybe stirred together with some apocalyptic language of his own, um, uh, because it's a time of revealing. Um, our parable is happening between uh, 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 Palm Sunday, right? He's just kind of come in the Parade of Palms. It's happening between that and the Last Supper. We're kind of in that part of Holy Week. And Jesus has just come into the temple and has used the language, woe to the Pharisees and the scribes, right? Uh, Very prophetic language to really call them out. Um, He, in fact, refers to them as, he says that you guys are like whitewashed tombs. You you live as if you're whitewashed on the outside, right? These pure, pristine kind of people, but you're rotting dead corpses on the inside. I mean, he is taking it to the house here and they are not happy about what he is saying and his disciples are a little uncomfortable with what's taking place. And it says that Jesus leaves the temple and retreats to the Mount of Olives. And while there, his uh, disciples come to him privately, makes a very particular point to say privately, and they ask him about some of the more audacious claims that he's just made. And he is using apocalyptic language, prophetic language, when he's talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. Um, and now he's standing on the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives is the point foretold where God would return to protect, to spare, to save God's people from all the evil empires of the world. Rome, as an example, which was currently occupying the Holy Land, Israel. And so they come to him and they're like, hey, like, is this, is this the time? Is this when God's going to do the thing through you? There's no more equivocating. They're not wondering, is Jesus the Messiah or not? In this moment, they are sure that he is the anointed one. They've put all their eggs in that basket. They are trusting that he is who he says he is. Uh, they're watching all these things kind of take place. And they want to know, like, is this the moment? Is this the moment? And what we see in chapter 24 is uh, sort of Jesus's response uh, to them. And I've made a choice. I just want to be clear about the choice that I've made. I think that one of two things is taking place here. One, in chapter 24, either Jesus is telling them what they're getting ready to see, or Jesus is preparing them to live a particular type of life on the other side of this apocalyptic moment, on the other side of this revealing. And I am making a choice that that's what Jesus is doing. Um, I could defend that choice. We could spend another 25 minutes walking through it. Uh, But for the sake of our time together in this moment, um, I just want you to know that that's the choice that I'm making. I think that what Jesus is doing is preparing his disciples. I think it's a coaching moment. He's preparing his disciples to, uh, to live and to lead on the other side of his death and resurrection. He's just using big apocalyptic language uh, to do it. 
they are asking him for signs. They want to know like how they should go and prepare for the thing that's taking place. Uh, it seems, though, that Jesus over and over again sort of cites a sign and then suggests that he's not going to give them this, not going to give them the sign that these things are going to take place. Uh, and what he's sharing with them is not so much the inside scoop so that they can time out their preparation. I believe it is a coaching moment on the necessity of living a life of expectation. He's not going to give them the, the code to crack so that they can go and figure out exactly when they need to begin their preparation. He's coaching and teaching them about how to live a life, a life that's going to require a great deal of endurance in the midst of hardships, uh, but how to live a life of expectation. Um, otherwise, maybe if he gives us, like, I think when I read it, I'm going to read the pa a parable in a second. I promise I will. Um, when I read it, like, that's where I want to go. I want to go to this like code cracking moment. And every time I want to go there, Jesus says like, I'm not going to give you the, the code to crack. That's not what I'm doing here. Um, but I want to do it like, I feel like it's like a Kevin McAllister moment. If you know the movie Home Alone, uh, Kevin McAllister, the character, he like, he figures out when the crooks are going to come back and break into his house. And he spends all day just sort of milling about and running some errands and buying a toothbrush and, uh, you know, doing all the things that he needs to do, doing a little grocery shopping here and there. And then all of a sudden you hear the carol of the bell start, bong, bong, dun, 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 dun. And uh, he rushes back and he gets all of his things prepared for the crooks who are coming. Like, I feel like I want to crack the code so that I can just mill about my life doing whatever it is that I would like to do. Um, and then when I see a thing, I'll know. And I can go and prepare, but I don't have to worry about it until then. Again, I think that Jesus doesn't want us to be Kevin McAllister's. Jesus wants us to live lives that are full of expectation, always looking uh, to see what Jesus is up to. Um, and this is the parable uh, that kind of cements all that for me. Jesus uses uh, a lesson of a fig tree. I think I got assigned this parable because I confessed to not being able to grow figs earlier, but I will leave that debate for another day. Jesus says, from the fig tree, learn this lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things that he's just talked about, you know that he, the Messiah, is near at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all the things that I've spoken have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven, nor the Son, Jesus, but only the Father, God the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Again, expect, right? When you see the budding of the fig trees, you know to expect, uh, but you can't prepare for that moment. You just got to watch for it. You got to wait for it. You got to be attentive. I feel like he's, he's just teaching us, like I said, uh, not to wait for this particular moment for preparation, uh, but he's teaching us to live lives of expectation. He's insisting that we need to live an expectant life. So I want to ask us this question this morning. Um, where do you see the buds of the kingdom of God sprouting around you? Is that even a question that we have learned to ask or have thought to ask before? Where do you see the buds of the kingdom where do you see the buds of the kingdom sprouting around you? If we are people who live expectant lives, we 
can be people who are always paying attention to the things that God is doing around us. And I believe that God is always at work around us. Most of the time, I think we just sort of speed bump over those moments. We're not expecting, we're not paying attention, we're not looking for it. Uh, one of the greatest gifts that has been given to me by a friend and a mentor of mine um, was to always kind of ask me what I see the Holy Spirit doing around me. Um, and I really feel like it's helped me live a more an expectant life. And I think that's been a great gift uh, that he's been able to give to me. And, and I think he maybe is just taking Jesus's coaching to heart and figuring out how to help me do it. We've just come through ourselves an apocalyptic moment in these last few years. There is uh, no doubt about it. Um, it has been a time of revealing. A lot of promises that people have made to us to protect and to provide um, have fallen through. It's been a very deeply unsettling time for a lot of folks. It's, uh, it's revealed uh, a lot of a lot of things about uh, leaders that we have and, and what the world promises and what the world can give. And, and I think that that can be a deeply unsettling thing for us. Um, it can cause us, as Jesus warns in the, just before this passage, it can cause us to race off and try to find the next person who promises us that they alone can protect us, that they alone can provide for us. And Jesus here, I think, is just insisting, like the prophets of old, that we we fight through that impulse to turn to easy assumptions and easy answers. We fight back against that royal consciousness and we pay attention. Pay attention for the things that God is doing. Where are the buds of the kingdom that you see around you? Uh, I've just been listening to a lot of reports about uh, there was like a, a moment of uh, what we might call revival. They're not calling it a revival. They're calling it an outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Asbury College in Wilmore, Kentucky. Um, and a lot in the charismatic movement are seeing uh, sort of spot fires of that spread all around the world. Um, they see it as like buds of this thing that God has not left us in this moment of crisis and transformation uh, and this apocalyptic kind of ripping away of the blinders, but that they see God active and alive and at work. Um, and I feel like I see that. I didn't go to Asbury. I don't know that I've been a part of one of these spot fires, but I do feel like God is active and alive. This coming up this fall, uh, the strategic planning team that's been asking the question, what is God calling us uh, to be and to do? Yeah, as a church here in Fuquay, Fuquay Verena United Methodist Church, like who is God asking us to be? What is God asking us to do uh, in these next few years? They're getting ready to share their work with us. And it just, to me, every time I come to that conversation, every time I hear uh, parts and pieces of what's kind of budding out of that, it just feels like God is active and alive in our congregation, uh, calling us to be spiritual stewards of our kind of regional area here in the greater Fuquay area. Um a new generation of people are finding Jesus in a very un-1990s sort of way, in a very un-1950s sort of way, maybe closer to like a post-1450s sort of way. Um, these these are exciting times. Jesus says uh, right here at the end of his parable, he says, for as it was uh, in the days of Noah, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Uh, I just think like Noah built a boat and it wasn't raining. He built a boat on dry land. Uh, and it didn't make any sense. And I'm sure a lot of people mocked and laughed at him for doing that. Uh, but he was living an expectant life. And when the rains came, uh, the boat worked right where it was. Um, and uh, these days, you know, there's a lot of shade being thrown at the church. Uh, there are a lot of questions being asked about whether this generation is going to turn away from church, the nuns and the duns, and uh, and maybe the, the church in the West is dead. Um, people want to, you know, write a, write a no bit for it. Um, what is the, like the most ridiculous thing you could do? The most counterculture, the most uh, like craziest thing you could do as in the days of Noah building a boat. What could you do today? Uh, we could build a church, right? We could work on a church. We could participate in a life of faith. 
that's what it looks like, I think, for us to live expectant lives. Uh, so I, I, I leave you with a question that I believe Jesus was asking his disciples. Um, I've been asking for myself, uh, and I ask you today, where do you see uh, the buds, the new shoots, the tender branches of the kingdom of God uh, sprouting forth and bearing fruit around you? Uh, and might we name those things for one another so we can celebrate uh, the work of God uh, here in our midst? Uh, blessings on you as you uh, search for those buds and pay attention to them, uh, living expectant lives, lives of expectation uh, in the weeks ahead. Amen. Well, it's been great to worship with you together during this time. Uh, we'd love to invite you to come and join us for worship in person or online, live on Sunday mornings or throughout the week. You can find more information about our worship times or worship with us online at fvumc.org. And while you're there, uh, you can find plenty of ways to connect with us, uh, whether that's uh, connecting in sort of an opportunity for community around here or serving the greater Fuquay community around us. Uh, so we'd love to invite you to join us for those. Uh, if this is a resource that provides you spiritual sustenance and you'd like to partner with us in making it possible for everyone else while you're there, at the top right-hand corner, there's a button that says give, or you can go to fvumc.org slash give and make a gift there that makes the mission and ministry of this place possible. We're so thankful for everyone who partners with us uh, to do just that. Listen, it's been great. It's been great to be together with you uh, in this moment. And we look forward to worshiping again with you real soon. We'll see you then.